Hi, I'm back a week and a day late with an episode that is hella different from the one that I said would be next. Here's the thing, I'm stupid. So obviously this is not what I originally intended for the episode. Uh, last episode I did specifically as an effort to do something a little bit more casual so that I could make episodes a little faster and get them uploaded more regularly. So I thought that I would just start talking about the relationship of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, which I was like, I can outline all the major allegations into an easy to follow timeline, and I probably won't have to do a whole lot of extra work since this issue is so recent, you know? It's such a relevant topic of discussion. And I paid a decent amount of attention during the US trial, once it became like, you know, a huge point of discourse. So I thought like, that'll be easy, that'll be fast. I can do that so quick and I'll just upload the episode. But then I was like, but I do want to get into some of the stuff people aren't talking about as much. You know, I want to like revisit the docs from the UK trial and look into all like the exhibits that were in the trials. And I ended up falling into a rabbit hole that just got like deeper and deeper. And <sighs> yeah, so I, I'm still working on that episode. Hopefully it'll be up next week. I haven't given up on it, but along with it, I'm also putting together a readable timeline on my website, like just as a blog post. I'm trying to keep that as factual and objective as possible so that it can be a resource for like other people like me who have been really frustrated by the lack of comprehensive sources for the case. It's going to include all the major allegations along with the supporting evidence for each account and links and everything that anyone would need to make their perspective on the issue as informed as possible. So there's going to be like two things coming with that whole saga. So I've been working on that pretty much every day for the last two weeks and it's close to being ready for upload but I gotta take a break for a bit and just do something else with my brain because I don't know if you realize this but spending like three weeks just consistently looking up stuff that involves domestic violence and is like a really contentious piece of discourse is um emotionally exhausting it's it's uh, not good for the whole like peaceful living thing so i gotta just like have a day where i can talk about something else so a few days ago i went and i saw the new baz Luhrmann movie elvis and i didn't love it for various reasons i made a post on my website at medusini.com um that was like, not like a review of the movie, though definitely you can kind of hear my opinion about the movie on the post, but my issue with biopics that are about really famous people from like pop culture that had a significant impact and had kind of a complicated legacy, we should just stop making biopics about them because you can't cram in 
a whole lifetime of information about, like, Elvis Presley in a two-hour and 40-minute movie. You can maybe, if you, like, pare it down to one specific era in his career or one specific event, uh, but you can't just do a cradle-to-grave narrative and fit in everything that you need to fit in. Like, it just, it doesn't work. I wish people would stop doing it. You should just do, like, a fucking miniseries if you're, if you insist on doing, like, their whole life story. Just do a fucking miniseries. Anyway, the reason I think about biopics a lot, not like a lot a lot, but I do... I'm, I'm critical of them. I'm more critical of them than other genres because I've talked about it on this podcast before. My big, like, pipe dream that will never come true, that I would die to come true, is I want to make a movie or limited series about Britney Spears. And in 2017, there actually was a biopic made about Britney Spears. It's called Britney Ever After, and it was a Lifetime original I watched it when it came out, and it was garbage. It was just total garbage. And when I was thinking about biopics, I obviously remembered that movie, and I decided to rewatch it, and I rewatched it yesterday. And, um, this sort of, like, coincided well with some rants that Britney went on on her Instagram earlier today about the documentaries that were made about her conservatorship last year. And Britney doesn't really seem to be a fan of those. She doesn't love those. But she's never talked about Britney ever after. And it was also an unauthorized biopic. It, Britney had nothing to do with the creation of it. No one on Britney's team did that we know of. But <laughs> I'm starting to think something else. I thought when I rewatched it that I was going to be more forgiving of it because it came out in 2017. I was a different person then. I've grown. I'm more patient. I'm more understanding. So I thought that I was going to watch it and be a little bit more compassionate towards the filmmakers. But no, this movie is like straight up propaganda. Like, Oh my god, I almost feel like it was made by Team Khan. I'm sure it wasn't, but I was like, god fucking damn. Was Larry Rudolph like a producer on this movie and he just was credited under a different name or something? I think watching this movie like post-free Britney and post-conservatorship because it came out like two years prior to the voicemail that really got the free Britney movement going. I just... I feel like the filmmakers involved in this movie probably are embarrassed now, um, probably ashamed. Maybe, um, maybe they'll never work in the industry again. But I'm gonna react to the movie. I'm gonna go scene by scene, give you the whole rundown, talk about all the problems with it on, like, a filmmaking basis, all the problems on a Britney Spears basis, on a moral basis, and also I'm gonna talk about all the things that I would ask Britney if she ever let me do a project about her. Obviously I wouldn't do it without her permission, so this gives me a good opportunity to talk about what I would want to know from her, and what the filmmakers should have tried to find out before they made a movie about her life without her. Alright, so let's just get into the movie. Alright, so the movie opens with Natasha Bassett as Britney. Natasha was actually in the Elvis movie too. She had a 
fairly minor role, um, but I saw her and I was like, I've fucking seen that bug-eyed bitch before. She's pretty, like, she's fine, and I'm sure she's a decent actress. She was fine in Elvis, but this was not the role for her. So Brittany and some documentary filmmakers are in, like, a rehearsal space, like a dancing studio. It's just her and, like, three other people in the room, and they're all working on the documentary, which is supposed to be the filming of, for the record, the MTV documentary that was released in, like, 2009 and filmed in 2008. You could really just watch that documentary if you want to know about Britney's life, because... It's way better than this movie, and I don't think that the movie actually covers anything that you couldn't infer from the MTV movie, but whatever. It's like they're literally advertising a movie that's better than theirs about the exact same subject. Some issues with this scene. Number one, Britney's conservators and, like, no one on her actual team, no one a part of Team Khan is in the room at all, which we now know would be completely inaccurate. It seems around that time that Britney always had handlers in the room at some point to make sure she did not step out of line and say something that they didn't like. So that's a pretty unbelievable part of the movie. Maybe not something that people were really aware of in 2017, so I can't fault the film for that, but, you know... If they had asked Brittany what her life was like, it wouldn't have been an issue. They would have known, and they could have adapted for their film, but they didn't. The next issue is, they're all standing for every interview. The movie is set up in a structure where Brittany will say something during the filming of this documentary, and then that'll go back to a time in her life. So that allows Britney to be the narrator guiding the movie, which I don't mind that part, but in every single scene that they are interviewing her, she's standing. Who films long interviews for a documentary standing up? Like, Britney in the documentary is sitting down when she does the interviews. Why would you have her standing in the biopic? It's just the most peculiar decision that the directors made. It looks odd on, like, a human level, because you're like, why would this documentary be filmed just completely standing up? No one is sitting down. Why, why would they do that? And why would the directors of Britney Ever After do that? Why wouldn't they just put a chair in the scene and have the actress sit down? It doesn't make any sense. There's also a person on the set of this documentary before they actually start filming who's literally just taking a lint roller over Britney's shoes... But the filming is waist up. Why would they be worried about her shoes? And then the first piece of dialogue that Natasha Bassett has is Brittany. She asks the director of the documentary, like, oh, I should look there. And they say, yeah, look at the camera. Why would you look at the camera? Why would you look at the camera for an interview? You don't look straight into the camera. That looks weird. And it does look weird throughout the whole movie. There are certain parts where Natasha is looking straight at the camera while telling the audience something, and it's odd. It's a weird choice to make. And then Brittany says, this is just about my comeback, this interview, and the director says, or the producer, I guess, it's just like someone on set. They say, whatever you want to talk about, Brittany, I was told this was an all-access documentary. And Brittany responds, they would never let me do that. So right off the bat, we have an acknowledgement of Team Khan. We have an acknowledgement 
that Brittany is prevented from saying anything she wants. You would think after that that the movie would be kind of about the restrictions she's under and the people who are trying to silence her, but it's not at all. It is so pro-Team Khan, it's ridiculous. And then when the producer asks, who's they? Referring to Team Khan, and she says, you're the boss, aren't you? Brittany responds, don't let daddy hear you say that. So it's again acknowledging... Britney's dad is her conservator. He doesn't let her say whatever she wants. He's the boss. Why would you set it up in such an ominous way and then spend the rest of the movie just defending that situation? So then Britney gets asked what she wants in life, and she responds that she wants what everyone wants while looking, again, directly into the camera. She says, love. And a second later says she's still looking for that person, meaning, you know, like a romantic partner. And this is what the entire movie is going to be about. It's going to be about Britney Spears chasing happiness through romantic relationships. That's it. After that, it goes back to Florida 1998. So depending on what month it is, Britney is about 16 or 17. And this is right after Baby One More Time, the song dropped. Britney is an opening act for NSYNC. She comes out of the back of this, like, van, and in order to portray that Natasha Bassett is younger, that she's a teenager, they just put her hair into little pigtails. Not full pigtails, they're like little buns on the side of her head, and it looks fucking ridiculous. I don't want to say it's, like, fetishistic because it's not sexual. She's wearing, like, a sweater and some overalls to signify that it's the 90s. But the hair in the whole thing just looks like how you would expect the little in, like, a daddy-dumb little girl scenario to dress. And it's weird. I'm not kink-shaming you if you are into, the like, the DDLG shit, but it's a weird thing to do to portray, like, an actual teenager. But so Brittany's on her way to the tour bus to join NSYNC. In the van with her, in the front seat is Larry Rudolph and then her mom, Lynn. In the back with her is Jamie, who's sitting right next to her. And behind them is Jamie Lynn, Felicia, her assistant, and Reg Jones. Now, for the sake of accuracy, I don't know if... All of those people would be in the bus at the same time to bring Britney to a tour bus. Like, from what I understand, Jamie was pretty absent in Britney's career at this point, so I don't know that he's making that journey out with everyone. But whatever, it's really just meant to introduce all the characters, so for that reason I can't fault the filmmakers for putting them all in that van. However, I don't understand why they chose to put these particular people in the movie, because Brian is not in the movie at all. He's, I don't even think, mentioned throughout the film. Jamie Lynn is there because people know who Jamie Lynn Spears is, but she's not going to be a part of the movie in any significant way going forward, so there was no point in putting her in there if they weren't going to put Brian. Like, they're not going to explore any sort of sibling dynamics between her and her brother and sister, so like... What's the point in Jamie Lynn Spears even being in the car? I don't know. And then Reg Jones is Britney's boyfriend from Kentwood. So before she like went off and really became famous, that was her high school boyfriend. And they were still dating at the very start of her career. It's reported that Reg was told by Lynn 
that Britney would be telling the press that she was single because that was more marketable. And so I understand why they want to put that in the movie because it makes a commentary on how Britney's entire life was about her career. She couldn't even have a boyfriend and talk about it openly. She had to pretend she was single because that was more marketable for her fans. So that's a fair thing to include, but the way they go about introducing that aspect of her life is so clumsy. So first, Reg goes to introduce himself to the tour manager, and Larry cuts him off before he can say that he's Britney's boyfriend. A character intentionally cutting another character off is a bit of a cliche, and I don't think that the movie does it in a smooth way where it looks natural. But it is like subtle enough filmmaking that it gets the point across for the scene, so I don't hate it. But then a minute later, Lynn comes onto the bus and her and Brittany have this interaction. Well, you know, um, it's better if Reg doesn't go around telling people he's your boyfriend. Larry and I were talking and, and we think it, it's not good for business. For business? Well, the label is putting a lot of money into promoting you as an all-American team. You know, a good girl who's saving herself for marriage. So you're telling me to lie? Well, if it's nobody's business in the first place, then it's not really lying, sugar. You don't want to upset the label, do you? So put a pin in the whole saving yourself for marriage thing. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But if this scene was going to just verbalize the thing that the other scene was trying to show us, we don't need to have Reg in the movie at all. Like, Lynn could have had a conversation with Brittany where she just says, Hey, as far as anyone knows, you're saving yourself for marriage and you are perpetually single no matter what. That was all you needed. You didn't need Reg to be there. You didn't even need to acknowledge that Reg exists. Save yourself some money and not even have to cast that part. Or use that actor to play Brian, Brittany's other sibling, who's just not in the movie at all. But on the virginity thing, I do feel like that scene implies that Brittany wasn't actually a virgin at the time that she went on tour. I don't know if that's true, but I do want to talk about this article that The Sun wrote in, like, 2008, around the time that Lynn Spears' book was coming out. And they claim that Lynn's book has a passage in it that says Brittany actually lost her virginity at 14 and started experimenting with drugs at 15. I've seen multiple publications cite this article, but the article itself at The Sun is gone. The Sun apparently had excerpts from the book, but I have the book and that's not in there. So I don't know if The Sun lied and just made up those excerpts, or if they got like an early copy of the book and read something that didn't make it to the final publication stage. Either of those things seem completely possible to me, so I don't know. I've just always wondered. But ultimately, it's none of our business if Britney was a virgin at the time. So I would not ask her about that if I were making any sort of piece about her life, but I would ask her about the conversation involved, if there was one, about telling the press that she's a virgin. Was that just a thing that naturally came up in an interview, or was that something she had rehearsed to say because her team wanted her to? I don't know. I think that the latter would imply a lot about Britney's life, so I would love to ask her. But moving on. The scene on the tour bus is overall really obnoxious because they're trying to portray Britney as, you know, like a small town southern girl who's easily impressed by all the Hollywood stuff. So they have her walking around the tour bus being like, oh my god, y'all, this is all for little old me. And it's just like a bowl of Cheetos and 
a TV, and a DVD thingy, as Brittany refers to it, because she's stupid, you know? She's from the South. They don't have DVD thingies down there. At one point, Brittany even says to Felicia, Oh my god, Fee! Bunk beds! Like the fucking little cubby beds that are in a bus. Those aren't impressive. Like, there's a way to portray Britney as being, like, humble and maybe even a little naive without making her sound like a total fucking idiot who's never seen a bunk bed in her life. By this point, Britney's already gone to Sweden to produce an album with Max Martin. She's not nearly as inexperienced in the recording industry as this movie is trying to make her seem. And I think that's why they ham up the whole southern accent thing. Like, the accents in this movie are so heavy and so bad. And Brittany doesn't actually talk with a southern accent that often. She does sometimes, but when she's in interviews, she usually talks with, like, a Midwestern dialect. Because she was a child actor, and a lot of child actors and a lot of public speakers are trained in how to speak in a Midwestern accent because... That dialect is seen as a lot more neutral in America. It's not just Britney, though. Her whole family has, like, these thick southern accents that they really lean into in the movie, to the point where Lynn specifically calls Britney sugar all the time. I don't think I've ever heard Lynn call Britney sugar, but it's a southern thing to do. So that's what little southern Lynn does. So then after the tour bus scene, Britney is in a dressing room with Larry and Fee and her parents, and Lynn and Jamie get into an argument because Jamie doesn't want Britney wearing no hooker clothes. This seems fairly realistic because, in for the record, Jamie did mention something about hooker shoes on Britney. And the fact that this escalates into a fight between Jamie and Lynn, I think that's a perfectly fine scene. It makes sense, and it sets up the fact that Britney's parents fight a lot, and Jamie is an alcoholic who has some anger problems. So that works for me. The next scene is the one that introduces Justin Timberlake, and when this movie came out, I remember a lot of people clowning on him, the way that he was casted, the way that he was performed, the whole thing. I honestly think he's the most accurate depiction in the entire movie. He's got the little ramen noodle hair, and he says stupid things like bomb diggity, but he gives off the kind of like fuckboy vibe that I think is totally appropriate for the role. Then a little bit later, they're in a diner. It's Britney's family and Justin and Reg, though Justin holds Britney's hand under the table for a minute, and that makes me feel really, really bad for Reg, who is also sitting on the other side of Britney, but whatever, he doesn't matter anymore. And this scene, I also think, is fairly well done, because Jamie gets really mad when his credit card gets declined at the restaurant, which both sets up the fact that he is not doing well with money, and it sets up the fact that he has a lot of anger issues. And as a girl who also grew up with a father who had anger issues, I relate to Brittany in the sense that I know what it's like to just be waiting for someone to blow up and for one little annoyance to become a whole, like, grown-ass man having a tantrum. So that's one thing that I would love to speak with her about and talk about how she thinks that might have affected her for the rest of her life. Especially because I was able to escape that household and Brittany was put in a conservatorship by the man whose temper she always had to be worried about. So I can't imagine the amount of anxiety that that situation would put someone in. 
And I think the dynamic that existed in Brittany's household as a kid would have a really big impact on the rest of her life, especially in how she deals with any kind of conflict, including the conflict of the conservatorship. Then on the tour bus, Brittany is drinking with sync, drinking alcohol, and then she goes outside to smoke a cigarette because she's not that innocent, y'all. She smokes and drinks and stuff. But again, this is another like fair scene of Brittany outside the bus. She's trying to call her parents and she tells Justin that her dad's phone got cut off. She says she feels bad because... They put so much money into helping her career get started, and she feels like she owes them, and that's a big problem for a lot of child stars, is feeling like they're the breadwinners for their family. So, again, fine thing to acknowledge. That's another thing I'd love to ask Brittany about. How responsible did she feel for her parents' finances at the beginning of her career? But then that scene leads into a makeout scene with Justin Timberlake, which is just really, really gross, and I really didn't like it. And at this point in the movie, Reg just doesn't exist. We don't see Brittany breaking up with him. We don't see her trying to communicate with him at all. She never talks about him. He was sitting at the diner with them, and then he's gone. Back in 2008, Brittany does the one interview where she's sitting down, and she complains about it and says, Why do I gotta sit in this chair, y'all? <sighs> because you're doing an interview, Brittany, and that's what people do in interviews. Like, you do them all the time, sitting down. You know why you would be sitting. Anyway... She talks about Justin, and she refers to him as being more than just someone she was in love with. She says he was a part of her. You know how everyone thinks about their teenage relationships. They always play a massive role in someone's personhood and are maybe like the most monumental relationship that they'll ever have in their whole life. That's what this movie assumes that Brittany and Justin's relationship was. Just the single most important thing that ever happened to Britney Spears. So after that, it shows a little bit of what I guess is supposed to be Britney at the 2000 VMAs, where she's saying, I can't get no satisfaction, and then oops, I did it again. Because they couldn't get the rights to any of Britney's music, because she didn't want this movie to be made, they have her singing, I can't get no satisfaction, but they have her singing the lyrics of a part in the song where Britney had changed the lyrics, or whatever songwriters were working on that album, but instead they just have the actual Rolling Stones version, which is so weird because you could just have picked a different part of the song for her to be singing where she hadn't changed the lyrics, so it would have been like the same song. Or you could have just cut the performance shorter, because it felt like it went on for an eternity. And it it goes without saying that the dancing, the singing, the costuming, none of it is good, none of it is Britney, but it's a Lifetime movie, so I'm gonna cut them a little bit of slack for that. But it is just embarrassing to watch, honestly. After that, there's a scene that involves a robbery of, like, Britney's house or something, or her parents' house. I don't know exactly where they are, but... In this scene, some tapes of Britney and Justin got stolen. This is a part of a an unconfirmed rumor. I don't know why they chose to put this in the movie. They have limited time. The whole thing is 88 minutes long. So maybe you should try to put stuff in there that we know happened instead of rolling with unconfirmed rumors. 
But they put that in there that a sex tape between Britney and Justin was stolen by these robbers. It never comes back up. But it gives Britney's dad an opportunity to have a fight with her mom because he says, Oh my god, my baby made a boudoir video? And then him and Lynn fight. Jamie's reaction is actually pretty tempered for what I think it actually would be in real life. The fact that Jamie is such an abusive asshole leads me to believe that he would probably slut shame Britney in this case or get extremely angry, not just be like, oh my god, she made a boudoir video. It just, that doesn't seem realistic to me. It doesn't seem to go with the characterization of someone who would start a fight with a waiter in a restaurant like he did earlier in the film. But whatever. It gives Jamie and Lynn a reason to fight, which gives Brittany a reason to tell Lynn that she should do something about her father's drinking habits. And then her and Justin have a little moment where he consoles Brittany and that is supposed to mean that he was like her soulmate or something. The next scene with the interview is her talking about how Justin was the only person that ever understood her. And when the interviewer asks her, do you regret how things worked out between you two? Brittany doesn't answer. Like, this movie is projecting the idea that Brittany regrets breaking up with Justin Timberlake. It's like the one regret in her whole life. That she would still be with Justin today if she could do it all over again. And that's a weird thing to assume about a woman you have not spoken to. Now, there are a couple more scenes that I do appreciate. First, we have Justin getting really jealous and possessive when he sees the closeness between Brittany and her choreographer at the time, Wade Robson. I like seeing Justin being kind of an asshole to her because it at least sets up for them to have problems. Then there's a montage of Brittany being really lonely and working and trying to call Justin, but them having too busy of schedules to really talk to each other. Think that works well. It's set to some god-awful music, but it gets the point across about Brittany's career interfering with her personal life. Then Justin comes in and starts making out with Brittany, and it's just fucking disgusting. I hate sitting through these scenes with the two of them. And from there, the whole movie just goes downhill. So next, they're at a club. Justin is talking to another girl, and Brittany this time is the one that gets jealous. But it is so ridiculously uncalled for. Like, Brittany and Wade were at least dancing really closely, and he was being really flirty with her when Justin got upset. Brittany literally just sees Justin talking to another girl. She walks up, asks what's going on. He says, oh, she's just a fan. The girl goes, oh my god, you're Britney Spears, like she's a fan, and Britney just says, stay away from him, skank. Like, it's such a ridiculous overreaction that I can't imagine anyone having, if they're a reasonable person. So, for them to just say that Britney had that reaction for a random fan, like, it's ridiculous. It's making her seem like an unstable weirdo. Justin is still pretty patient with her. He's like, hey, keep it down. We don't want anyone to, like, hear us fight. And she just says, oh, well, I'm not the one slipping in the charts. Like, it's so ridiculous. They make her the villain of this relationship so blatantly. So after Justin walks away, understandably upset, Brittany is upset that he's upset with her, and she calls Wade to her hotel room, and... 
it doesn't show anything. It doesn't show them actually having sex or even kissing or anything. So it leaves it up to your imagination as to whether Brittany and Wade actually had a sexual relationship. But Justin sees a card written to Brittany from Wade, so he assumes, and the two break up. And this is where Brittany's life spins out of control. The movie very much implies that the reason that Brittany had the quote-unquote breakdown that she did is because she was still just so heartbroken over her breakup with Justin Timberlake. Now, in the three-part series I did talking about Britney's songs, I did say that the breakup with Justin led to a lot of the things that became a part of Britney's breakdown, but that was because of how Justin reacted to the breakup and what he did publicly that damaged her reputation and set her up as a villain so that paparazzi followed her from place to place for the rest of her life. Justin went on, like, a hate campaign after their breakup. He made a song about her where he blamed her for the breakup. He slut-shamed her. He told everyone that she was, in fact, not a virgin. And everyone was like, yay, cool, we love you, Justin. We're gonna hate Britney and call her a whore forever. I'm sure there was a lot of personal shit that Britney was dealing with in the breakup. That was probably a hard thing for her to go through on a personal level. But a part of that was also that Justin was the first public figure to turn hating Britney Spears into a public sport. But that's not in the movie at all. They don't mention Crimea River. They don't mention his interviews where he talked about taking her virginity. They don't mention any of that. It's just Britney being sad over a breakup for her entire life. So at that time in Britney's life, her parents were also going through a breakup, they were divorcing, and when Lynn tells Britney that in the documentary, Britney is, like, devastated. Even though, as we know in real life now, it was actually Britney's idea, she encouraged her mom to divorce her dad and told her mom that she would buy her house if she divorced her father. So I find it a little hard to believe that Britney would be so blindsided by this and devastated by it, but whatever. I do like this piece of dialogue between Brittany and her mom in this scene. Now, I don't want this to push you into one of your funks. Mama, I'm allowed to be sad. After reading Jamie Lynn Spears' book, it became really clear that the Spears family really didn't want Brittany to ever show any emotion, especially any emotion that was negative or affected them in any sort of way. It very much appears that Brittany's entire family was gaslighting her for a long time because any time that she was upset about anything, it was portrayed as if she was just crazy, as if she was just going to get into one of those funks, as Lynn says in the scene. So I like that aspect that the movie acknowledges that Britney is allowed to be sad, and her family should not judge her for it. But it then spends the rest of the movie trying to make it look like Britney is in fact fucking insane. So first, Brittany and Justin have a dance battle in a club. Again, the movie has such little time to do so much with Brittany's story, and they wasted doing stupid fucking scenes like this. Brittany and Justin did not have a dance battle. They didn't. No one has dance battles. That's not a thing. There was also a scene earlier, too, where Brittany and one of her friends went and, like, stalked Brad Pitt at his house, and, like, you could be telling story with this time. You could be moving the plot forward. Why is this in here? But after the dance battle, which is just sad and weird, 
Cut to Britney at the 2003 VMAs after the kiss with Madonna. And she comes off stage and immediately asks Larry and her mom and Fee, what was his reaction? What did he look like? Referring to Justin. And all of the people around her are like, sweetie, he's moved on. He's with Cameron Diaz. And Britney's like, but she's old. So still at this point in her life, Britney is trying to get Justin back. She doesn't care about her performance and if it was good. She's not tired and maybe looking for some water. She comes off stage and she's immediately like, what did Justin think? Girl, come on. Then it goes to 2008 again, where they're filming the documentary. And Britney is singing a song in the recording booth. Not a Britney song at all, because remember, they couldn't get the rights to that. She's singing a song and at the end she goes... This song's about me walking around and wishing I had a boyfriend. And at first, I thought that she was being, like, sarcastic or she was making fun of the lyrics. Like, ugh, as if. But no, she's saying that she relates to it because of that. And she even says, I need a man, y'all. Because that's, that's the thesis statement for the entire movie. Britney went insane because she needed a boyfriend. And she was still sad that her and Justin Timberlake broke up. Her and that fuckboy who went around bragging about taking her virginity. She's still not over him. And then Lynn is being interviewed and she says, Britney's the kind of girl who needs a man in her life. Always has been. Bitch, fuck you. So then it goes to the Vegas wedding, obviously. We don't see the wedding, but we see Britney in bed with Jason Alexander after. And she's ecstatic. She's so happy. She's so thrilled with herself for doing what she did. We don't see Britney and Jason really interacting because it doesn't matter. Because Britney just needs a man so badly that she'll just marry anyone because she's desperate and sad. And she also doesn't regret the decision at all. She doesn't wake up thinking like, oh, fuck, I fucking married someone. Like, she probably would in real life. Like, anyone probably would if they married someone from their hometown who they barely knew in Vegas. Anyone would probably wake up and be like, oh, fuck. But not Britney. Britney is ecstatic because she's stupid, you know? She doesn't think things through. She calls her mom. And her mom brings Larry Rudolph to her hotel room, and Larry has about a two-minute conversation with her, maybe even less, and he talks so much sense into her that in that moment she realizes how much she's fucked up because she needed a nice, smart man like Larry Rudolph to tell her what an idiot she was. Now, I'm not doubting that maybe Larry and Lynn and whomever else pressured Brittany into getting the annulment because it would be better for her brand. That could very well be true. But it makes sense that Britney probably was already regretting the decision. In fact, I think Lance Bass once said that he came out to Britney because she was upset and he wanted to cheer her up. So when she was regretting her marriage, he was like, hey, I'm gay. So we've already got evidence that Britney was upset. She was already thinking about, I might have made a mistake. Like most people would. But not movie Britney. Movie Britney is just too desperate for a boyfriend. So of course right after that they go right into Britney's relationship with Kevin Federline and like with Jason Alexander they don't set it up at all. Britney's just with Kevin Federline now because it doesn't matter what she saw in him, it doesn't matter what she liked about him, it doesn't matter if they had any chemistry. Britney just grabbed a boy because she wanted one. They get married, and even though the wedding took place in 2004, Jamie Lynn Spears is the exact same age that she was at the beginning of the movie in 1998. I'll give the wedding scene one thing. 
the dress that Britney's character wears is probably the closest that any of the costumes come to looking like their real-life counterparts. However, Britney's wig in this scene is just absolutely atrocious. So, Britney's team wants Kevin to sign a prenup. Britney doesn't care, but because her team won't let her get officially married until the prenup is signed, she gets it, and then she comes to Larry Rudolph, gives it to him, and says, I'm sick of you controlling me. I'm sick of you controlling my sound, my career. And, like, the only thing we've seen them control is the marriage. Like, them saying that they need a prenup before Brittany and Kevin can be officially married. Which isn't their right to say, but that's the only thing in the entire movie where we see someone actually, like, telling Brittany what to do. Other times they're just, like, suggesting things to her and then she doesn't do them because she doesn't want to. And we've certainly seen nothing about her sound. Like, her music plays such a small role in this movie that I don't even know what that means. Like, what was Britney's sound supposed to be in the film? And what did Larry Rudolph do to control it? This scene just makes Britney look like a brat. Because we don't see Britney's team trying to control her in the way that she is saying that they are. It's like Britney just made this up in her head like she was paranoid and everyone was actually just trying to help her the whole time. And then it goes back to the interview with Lynn and Lynn is being like, people call Britney all sorts of names. They don't understand her. They call her crazy, but she is a good person. And like, okay, do you want to maybe say that she's not crazy? But you're not going to address that. You're going to be like, people just think that she's crazy. But she is nice. Like, there's an implication that Britney actually is crazy, but people should stop calling it out because she's a good person. So, of course, Britney and Kevin are immediately on the rocks because she just picked a person to marry. And she wants a divorce, but she's already fired Larry Rudolph and she realizes what a horrible mistake that was because she can't possibly run her life by herself. So she comes crawling back to Larry. She cries tells him, I really, I can't do this without you. I was being so stupid. So she rehires him. He tells her that she needs to lay low in the public for a while, which she of course doesn't fucking do, despite agreeing to it, because why would she follow good advice? Which is how the movie portrays this, that Larry was the only one who was right. He was always looking out for Brittany, and if she had just done what he had told her, None of this would have happened. So, of course, right after the scene where Britney says, I promise I'm going to stay low, we go back to 2008 where Britney's doing her interview, and she says, I know I said I was going to stay low, but I didn't. She doesn't say that exactly, but that's pretty much the gist of it. She's like, oh, I immediately went back on that promise because um, I don't know what to do with my life, and I need people to be there around me 100% of the time to instruct me on how to conduct myself. She talks about being lonely and feeling like she had no one around. And when the interviewer asks her, what about your family? We go back to 2006-ish, or 2007, I guess, because she had already shaved her head. And she is serving her mother a letter or a poem. It's the thing that we all kind of know about now that she brought to her mother, telling her off because Lynn was like kind of getting a little bit too close with Kevin after the divorce. And spending time with Britney's 
infant children when Brittany herself didn't even have very good visitation rights. So she couldn't see her kids, but her mom was seeing her kids behind her back. It's really fucked up, actually. But in the movie, that's not how it's portrayed. Brittany has a purple wig on. She is all erratic and manic, and she's screaming at her mother and literally spinning around. Like, <laughs> the actress is just walking in circles at one point. It's so ridiculous, and Lynn is being so calm and patient and reasonable. It's not trying to sympathize with Brittany at all. It's portraying her like she's insane. I'm just gonna play the audio because you need to hear this. I don't want you around Sean Preston and Jaden James, got it? Brittany, please, Jamie Lynn's on set. Let, let's talk. Oh, everything I have to say to you is in that letter. If you want to talk, maybe you should call up Kevin. You two are tight now, I hear. I'm just trying to keep things friendly for the sake of the boys. That's the only reason I talk to him. Friendly? Oh, yeah, like when you sent me to that nut house in Malibu. Now everyone thinks I'm crazy and it's your fault. It's in the letter. Read it. Well, honey, don't talk. Read. God. My lawyer's coming for you, so you better buckle up. Loves you. Oh, you're not on my side either? No, Fine. Nobody's picking sides. Oh, and then back in 2008? I thought everyone was against me. I mean, everyone but me. Everyone but Larry. <laughs> was Larry fucking someone on the production? Like, what is going on? And we get more scenes from 2007 where Britney was being unstable. It never tries to interrogate what led to those moments. It just shows her being weird and everyone around her being normal. Even the scene where Britney is attacking a paparazzo with an umbrella, in real life, she was hitting a car. In the movie, she's just wildly swinging an umbrella around to actual human beings. This movie is so fucking stupid. I have to play another clip of Britney interacting with paparazzi while she's driving her car. Britney! Britney! Hey, you look so hot today! I know! Not getting so hot? How do you do, baby? How do you do it? So then at the 2007 VMAs, Britney is having like a panic attack in her dressing room and she starts going. I don't want anyone touching me. I'm so sick of everyone touching me. Now, this is taken from real-life reports of something Brittany allegedly said after she shaved her head. When someone asked her, why did you do it? She said, I was sick of people touching me. But in the movie, it's well after she shaves her head. She's referring to two people who are across the room not touching her, not talking to her, not doing anything whatsoever. She's just paranoid. And we also really haven't seen many people touching her in the movie. It just comes out of nowhere. It's really meant to make her look like she's making things up in her brain. Nothing that she's upset or worried about is real. Then Justin knocks on her door. She doesn't answer it. She tells her, like, assistant or friend or whatever to tell him she's not there, even though he can clearly see her. And he is trying to talk to her. He seems so concerned. He's like, tell her to break a leg. Well, he says, actually, tell her to break everything, which is a little inside joke from earlier. It doesn't matter. The point is, Justin Timberlake is a nice guy. He wanted to support Britney in her lowest moment, but she was too unstable. And this is the reason that the 2007 VMA performance wasn't very good, was because Britney was still upset about her breakup with Justin Timberlake. 
the thing is, the people who made this movie before it came out, when they were getting criticism because Britney didn't want anything to do with it and they were making it anyway, they were like, well, it's actually really complimentary to Britney and it's a feminist movie. Where the fuck is the feminism? You're making an entire movie about how a woman's life was ruined because her teenage boyfriend broke up with her. Oh, and said boyfriend was actually really, really nice, and it was her fault that they broke up, and he was nothing but kind to her and understanding, and he was concerned about her even years after their breakup because he's just such a good guy. And of course, right after the VMA performance, she runs to the monitors, looks at the playback, and says, Oh my god, he saw me like that. Because everything's about Justin. And yeah, like, that would be embarrassing if your ex was in the audience, even if it was from a long time ago that you guys broke up, he saw you have a bad performance. That would suck. But the movie frames Britney's entire breakdown around this breakup. It's the only thing she cares about. Cut back to 2008, Britney's doing her interview, and Jamie is standing next to her this time, but instead of directing her on what to say or do, he is being very sweet. He's asking her if she wants some cheese grits. He looks to the cameras and he says, you know you don't have to say anything you don't want to. <laughs> Just so considerate. Uh, you know, compared to what he would have been doing in real life, which is like, you can't say anything I don't want you to. But, you know, movie Jamie is nice, and movie Britney should just be more grateful. It then goes into pretty much, like, maybe the most accurate scene of the movie, but only in terms of how it's portrayed in Lynn Spears' book. When Lynn goes to meet Britney after Sam Lutfi had already taken control of her life. Now, for obvious reasons, Lynn Spears is not the most reliable narrator. And her and Jamie are definitely portrayed as heroes in this story, while Sam Letfi is a villain. I don't like Sam Letfi. He is a checkered past outside of his relationship with Brittany, but how much about his relationship with Brittany is true, I don't know. Because a lot of the information that we did have was from Lynn Spears, and it seems like that might not have all been true. So, I don't know. Again, waiting to hear from Brittany about it. And then in 2008, during the interview, Brittany has this, like, analogy, this metaphor for her life where she's like, it's like a water slide. You get on, and at first it's a lot of fun, but then it's scary, and you can't get off till you reach the bottom. And, like, I think most people just have fun on water slides. Like, I don't find myself in a state of absolute horror midway through a water slide. If I was going to be scared at all, I'd be scared at the top when I first got on, and then I'd be having fun after that. The metaphor doesn't make any sense, and I can't tell if it's just bad writing, like they just wrote a metaphor that didn't make any sense, or if they're actually just trying to portray Brittany as having like such an off perspective on the world that she's like, you know how you get on a water slide, and at first you're having fun, but then midway through, you're like filled with terror, and you're like, oh my god, why did I ever get on this water slide? But then you have to keep being on the water slide. Like, no, Brittany, I've actually never had that experience. I think that's just like a you thing. I'm sorry. Then we go back to the beginning of 2008. Brittany is in the hospital. She's been 51 50 She looks uh, ridiculous. Her hair is all messed up. 
Her eyes are like sunken in. Like she looks like someone who's been on a rager for days. And a doctor is trying to convince her that she actually does need to be in the hospital and she does need help and she maybe needs to be on some new meds. And Brittany is having trouble dealing with that, but the doctor is so calm and rational and he seems to really care about Brittany. You can tell that he's the reasonable one and she's crazy. That's the subtext of the scene. And then we even get to talk about, you know, the thing. Brittany, your family has filed to make your father your conservator. They will appear before a judge and ask that he be appointed. What does that mean? It means that your father would help make decisions for you on your behalf. Healthcare decisions, uh, finances, family. So first of all, um, in real life, Brittany was not really given proper notice. She was not sat down and spoken to about this arrangement. It just happened while she was still in the hospital. So that's inaccurate. But we didn't really have all that information at the time. Still, the movie is definitely portraying this like it's a good thing. Brittany protests and says that everyone's trying to control her. And we get a little bit more propaganda. Honey, it's temporary and just a way we can help you. I can take care of myself. Honey, we know you're a good person. And you're so, so special. You're talented and you're smart. But there are bad people out there who've been hurting you and this is a way we can stop them and help you when you need us. What if I don't want this? Brittany, you have every right to have your own attorney present. Except she didn't have a right to have her own attorney present. She tried to hire her own attorney and he was ejected from the courtroom because the judge decided that she did not have the capacity to hire her own representation. That was a fact. Like, that was something that people knew about in at least 2009, which is a good eight years before this movie was made. They had access to that information. They just chose to misrepresent it or they didn't look it up. And even though Jamie was portrayed earlier in the movie as an asshole and a drunk, by now he's completely made up for his past, and he only cares about family and helping his daughter get better. Y'all want my money, don't you? Baby, no. That's not what this is about. It's about those wonderful little babies of yours. This is what we need to do to help you get them back. You should show the court that you got the support of a good family. Mm -hmm. Family, you were always drunk. You have every right to be mad at me. God knows I'm not perfect. And as Brittany considers all of this, there are flashbacks that start with multiple clips of her and Justin together. For what purpose? What does he have to do with any of this? And then she agrees. She agrees to the conservatorship. As we all know, did not happen. She did not want it. She did not give consent for it. But in the movie, she does. In the movie, she decides, you know what? They're right. I do need help. I hate this movie so much. And then the movie ends. Brittany goes on stage, and there's this little voiceover thing where she wraps it all up, saying, It's who I am. It's all I've ever known. I hear the crowd, and I want them to be happy. I mean, shoot. We all deserve to be happy. So even though we've barely really explored Britney's career at all during this, we've just looked at her relationship with Justin Timberlake and um, everyone after that, 
None of which had any, like, personalities or any reasons for Britney to like them. They were just the people that she met after Justin Timberlake because she was so desperate to get a boyfriend after Justin broke up with her that she would literally just let anyone into her life because she's just still so heartbroken over Justin. But her entire career is just reduced to she likes to make people happy, which I don't doubt. I'm sure Britney does like to make people happy. She likes to hear the crowd cheer, but also... Does she not like performing just for the act of it? Does she not like singing? Does she not like dancing? Is it all just about what Britney can do for other people? Um, I, I have some problems with that. But I guess to come to any other conclusion, the filmmakers would have actually had to talk to her and figure out the things that she likes and dislikes and why she enjoys performing and what she gets out of it. And they didn't do that. They didn't talk to her. And I understand why, because... With her conservators, pretty much no one could talk to her. So don't make a movie then. Just don't. Maybe make, like, a documentary about all your favorite moments in Britney's career as a fan. Don't try to tell her story for her. So this is just a message to Britney, if she ever happens to hear this, which I'm assuming she will not, but just in case. Brit, we can make a story together. I can help you. Structure your life into a biopic or a limited series, and we'll focus on all the things that you want to focus on. We can talk about your childhood if you want to. We can talk about your father and his alcoholism if you want to. Or we can just talk about one album that you made and maybe all the work that went into it. We can talk about the conservatorship. We can expose every person that ever did anything bad to you. And we can make it the way that you want to make it. We could even do it in, like, a structure of a fairy tale. Like, we could have it fictionalized, and it could take place in, like, a magical fairy world. Because I love fairies, and you love fairies. And the fairy princess could be you. We could use a fairy princess to represent a princess of pop. It would be perfect. And... You can get a say on anything and everything. Everything in the film, you get to decide. But anyway, this movie fucking blows. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but I feel like Team Khan made this. I feel like they called someone at Lifetime. They gave him some notes and they said, hey, make a movie that makes us look really good and makes Britney look really crazy. And perhaps it would have been a useful piece of propaganda if it were actually well-made. But unfortunately for Team Khan, a Lifetime movie is a Lifetime movie, so y'all lost. And thankfully my girl is actually out there living her Britney Ever After, so fuck everyone involved in this movie. And I will be back next week, hopefully with an exhausting saga of domestic abuse and defamation trials and maybe some controversial takes so see ya